Kevin Smith's latest flick, Yoga Hosers, is now streaming courtesy of Flix Fling. See the film the way some would say it would be best seen, while you're blazed and surfing the internet in the comfort and privacy of your own home. Feel like a 12-year-old girl again, even if you never actually were one. Yoga Hosers, it's a kid's movie from the guy who made his career with Clerks and then tried to destroy it with Tusk. Rent or own Yoga Hosers right now on Flix Fling. Pod you. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Pod U, where we give you the opportunity to school us with your podcasts. Uh, this week's submission for Pod U is a particularly entertaining one, and, and I'm sorry, I, I guess we're kind of falling geek-centric uh, going back-to-back last week, dorking out now this one, because uh, we, what we're doing is we're featuring Fothentic History. Now, I love this because it's kind of in the vein of a, of drunk history and the other types of, uh, of shows. It's tapping into that history uh, appeal, but but it's not real history. Uh, Fothentic History is a fake history podcast. Uh, they take nerdy subjects and they tackle them as if they were real historians uh, in a real place, in a real event. Uh, the episode that uh, they've submitted is all about the Battle of Hoth uh, from that perspective. So this is a historian's look back at the Battle of Hoth. Uh, so you can find out more about them. At FauxAuthenticHistory.com. If that's too hard to understand, just go to the Pod U page. They'll be right on there somewhere. Just take a look around. You'll find them. Uh, also, if you want to know the people that host this wonderful podcast, one of them is Brian Young from the Full of Sith podcast and Holly Frey from Stuff You Missed in History Class. So it's kind of like two worlds colliding into this one beautiful little piece of entertainment. So without further ado, I bring you Fauxauthentic History. This is Fauxauthentic History. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Brian Young. And I'm Holly Fry. So today we're going to be talking about the Battle of Hoth. Uh, the Battle of Hoth is a well-known galactic conflict, but to understand it completely, we should put the state of the galaxy into a little bit of context. The Empire's use of the first Death Star to destroy the largely peaceful Imperial planet of Alderaan was an event that haunted the galaxy and greatly increased recruitment into the loosely confederated organization that called themselves the Alliance to Restore the Republic, or the Rebel Alliance as it's more commonly referred to. It caused unrest throughout the galaxy, though it galvanized many on both sides of the conflict. Two of the most important surviving members of uh, Alderaan, who feature prominently into the Battle of Hoth, are General Carlist Rykan and Princess Leia Organa, and we'll, we'll get to talk about them later. After the destruction of Alderaan, the Rebel Alliance quickly launched a counter-strike against the space station from their previously secret base on Yavin 4. And that could be a whole episode on its own, and quite possibly will. We won't get into it now, except to say that it was obvious that the Rebels could not stay at their base very long because it was no longer a secret. The Empire did everything in its power to create a situation in the galaxy that would make it nearly impossible for the Rebels to maintain further outposts as the one they had in the Great Masasi Temples on Yavin. The Rebel High Command established a special recon team at this point known as the Shrikes uh, that were commanded by Kaliuan Emat, and their sole mission was to find bases suitable for the Rebels to hide on. 
uh, or in rather. After skipping from base to base, the rebels, with the help of the Shrikes, finally settled on a world of frozen tundra that was deep in the outer rim, the sixth planet of the Hoth system, for which the system took its name. Hoth was, as you can imagine, incredibly difficult for the rebellion to establish, so it was likened at times to a giant ice cube. The only indigenous life that they found there were these docile snow lizards that they could use as mounts. Those were called tauntauns. And there were also uh, some vicious furred bipeds that lived in the caves of Hoth, so it was cold and miserable and dangerous. On the surface, it seems like Hoth would be the perfect choice to stay secret from the Empire. It was out of the way on the fringes. No one had heard of it. It was completely inhospitable. The Empire would never assume anyone would put stakes down in a barely charted system with no population center. In fact, previous rebel bases were either on inhabited planets like Dantooine, Lothal, or Garel, or on planets that had at least at one time had civilization on them, like Yavin 4. Hoth was neither of these things, which made it perfect. But, of course, it also came with with problems that no civilized planet would have. The rebels would have to eventually overcome all of these problems if they expected to win any skirmish with the Empire, and the establishment of Echo Base on Hoth was a masterclass in problem-solving for the rebels. First, they had to create livable space for a massive amount of troops and then carry with them the supplies required to garrison them. It wasn't like there were many, if any, crops they could grow on the planet. And then they didn't have the resources to build new structures, and a decision was made to spend time enlarging, naturally forming caves for use as the base, bolstering it with blast doors and hangar bays where they could. It created an interesting problem in keeping the troops warm enough as well, in that they had to provide enough heat to make people comfortable, but not warm enough to melt the walls of their base. In the absence of adequate HVAC systems, you'll notice in the hollows of the battles, rebel troops are bundled up every way they could find. There were scarves everywhere. It was like a mummy-grade scarf festival. Uh, There were also many problems in adapting their weapons of war to the extreme temperatures of Hoth. Uh, In particular, the T-47 speeders posed a significant problem. These would be vital to defend the base should that be necessary, but they were largely inoperable at the beginning of the rebels' stay on Hoth. Add to that the predatory wampas that we referenced earlier, and you really had a situation that would look largely hopeless if the Empire were to find them. The rebels stationed at Echo Base set to work on powering a base-wide shield that would protect it from orbital bombardment, but even that proved to be a really difficult prospect. So shortly before the events that we now know as the Battle of Hoth, the planet was the site chosen for a strategy conference uh, amongst Alliance High Command and many of their spies and operatives to discuss the next steps of the war. And as the base became more established, more and more transports arrived with personnel and leaders, including the aforementioned General Carlos Rican and Princess Leia Organa. While the Rebel Alliance was busy setting its best and brightest minds to work to plan the next steps of their incursion, Imperial forces, led by Darth Vader aboard his Super Star Destroyer flagship, the Executor, were obsessed with finding the Rebel base. But not just the base, they also were really, really obsessed with finding the specific location of Luke Skywalker. That was the Rebel pilot who fired that proton torpedo that destroyed the Death Star. To this end, Vader used the extraordinary means at his disposal to launch literally thousands of Arrakid Viper probe droids to scour the galaxy for any hint or clue that would lead him to the Rebels and, more importantly, to Skywalker himself. 
Now, this scattershot approach was met with skepticism by some of Vader's command staff, in particular the bristly Admiral Kendall Ozzel. And when a stray, fragmented report made its way on the bridge of the Executor, Captain Firmus Piat was positive the rebel base had been found on Hoth. Ozzel refused to believe that. Witnesses even remarked that Ozzel and Piat were arguing about those findings of the probe droids report when Lord Vader himself stepped in and insisted they investigate that report personally. Vader ordered Ozzel to mobilize the Navy, and then uh, he ordered General Maximilian Veers to ready his troops in case the order for ground assault was given. Then the executor jumped into hyperspace, and Admiral Ozzel set to brief his subordinates on, on his strategy for, for the coming battle. The probe droid that sent the report was actually found by Rebel High Command. They detected it on their scanners, and General Rykan sent a team consisting of General Han Solo and his Wookiee first mate Chewbacca to investigate. Solo and Chewbacca exchanged brief blaster fire with the probe, but it had a self-destruct that was activated when it was caught. This left the rebels to actually do a lot of guesswork about what exactly they had had a skirmish with. They didn't know who owned the probe, nor where it came from, they were wondering, did the Empire know where they were? They knew nothing with certainty, but Rykan took absolutely no chances. He ordered the base to prepare for immediate evacuation and for ground troops to prepare for a surface battle. And when you think about it, this was an incredibly costly decision. If the Empire had not found them, they would still be out of a base of operations. But Rykan's worst fears were realized when Vader's fleet of Imperial Star Destroyers jumped out of light speed in the orbit of Hoth. And so with the stage set, that is where the actual battle is about to begin. But before we get into that, Brian, do you want to pause and take a little break? Nothing would delight me more. All right. So this is the part of the show where there would be advertisements for things, uh, but the show is new, and so we do not have advertisements for things yet. Uh, if you are interested in advertising on Fothentic History... Uh, you can email me at uh, brian at bigshinyrobot.com, and we can get that squared away. But uh, in the meantime, you have uh, an extra short break. Let's get back to the show. So to jump back into our story, uh, the sudden appearance of Star Destroyers in the Hoth system let the Rebels know conclusively that Rykan had been right to order that evacuation and ground assault, which was actually an incredibly intelligent move. The energy shield, which he immediately diverted all base power to, would prevent any orbital bombardment of their base and prevent any of the Empire's landing ships from creating an offensive staging area close to the base. And since Rykan's goal was not to beat the Imperial contingent at Hoth, but merely to buy time for a getaway, assembling ground forces would provide a shield of time, making it that much more difficult for the Empire to shut those shields down. According to General Veers... Admiral Ozzel's strategy had been to catch the rebels by surprise by jumping so close to the Hoth system, and this might have been the single largest flaw in the Empire's strategy to destroy the rebels. Veers reported this to Vader, who immediately and lethally demoted Ozzel and promoted Captain Piat in his place to control the naval elements of the battle. Um, that's, that's like a hostile work environment, if ever I've heard one. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Uh, it's not the sort of regime you want to work under where you could literally be murdered by remote uh, for making a mistake. And and not even, I mean, yes, it was a big mistake and a tactical blunder, but did he deserve to die for that? I'm not, I'm not so sure. Yeah. It kind of uh, is the worst possible way to get an annual review is what I think. 
Yeah. <laughs> and General Veers, meanwhile, took his contingent of ground troops, which was known as Blizzard Force, aboard a number of all-terrain armored transports. You'll also see that written as ADAT or ATATs, as they're called. Uh, though the official imperial pronunciation is ATAT. In just casual parlance, a lot of people will refer to those as ADATs. And then uh, Veers sat down on the surface of the planet to make the slow approach to the rebel base on mechanical foot in these vessels. Veers determined that the primary objective ought to be the main generators that were powering the shields. Taking those out, he knew, would allow Darth Vader to land his personal troops on the base and find those precise rebels that he was looking for. The battle began with rebel troops scrambling into hand-dug snow trenches and readying uh, 1.4 FDP tower laser cannons, which were light lasers suitable for, like, small vehicle defense, and DF-9 turrets that were effective against modestly armored infantry across Hoth. Uh, Not exactly the sorts of weapons that you would want if you were fighting, uh, uh, fending off AT-ATs. Now, Echo Base wasn't the only place where troops rallied, though. Outposts around the perimeter, marked Alpha through Delta, were put on alert and joined the fight as the walkers approached. And these bases were where the Empire fielded all-terrain scout transports, or ATSTs, and gunnery platforms full of Imperial snowtroopers. The pilots of the Rebellion, including those who had survived the assault against the Death Star, loaded into the T-47 speeders that had finally been adapted for use in the cold only recently to effect a search party for Luke Skywalker, who had gone missing on patrol. And that was about all the Rebellion could muster since so many of their resources and personnel were being devoted to this evacuation effort. So the details of the plan for that rebel evacuation were delivered to an incredulous group of troops and pilots by none other than Princess Leia Organa, who we'd referenced earlier. And the rebellion had only a handful of GR5 medium transports and could fit only a finite amount of their equipment onto them. Now, GR5s are the clamshelled ships that were usually used in civilian hauling, but would protect cargo pods from being damaged in transit or even jettisoned and stolen, which was common for Imperial freighters that had been targeted by rebels like Phoenix Squadron in the past. So in order to save as much material as they could, they'd have have to make tough choices leaving the heavier equipment and taking what they could fit. Organa informed the pilots in her charge that each transport would have to blow past this imperial blockade of star destroyers with an escort of only two X-wings. So to put that into perspective, an imperial class star destroyer is capable of housing 750 fighters. A T-65B X-wing, like those in use by the Rebellion at Hoth, were equipped with four linked laser cannons and a proton torpedo launcher. So you can understand the trepidation of the rebel pilots who were being asked to perform this escort duty. The princess assuaged their fears by promising ground-based ion cannon support that would, hopefully, neutralize the Star Destroyers just long enough for the transports to punch through. It's a bit amazing how uneven the overall rebel plan was, but that was just the hand they were dealt, and no matter how many times they tried, it certainly wasn't pure sabacc, let alone an idiot's array. Um, idiots indeed. Um... With uh, General Veers bearing down on the ill-equipped troops of the Rebellion with his crack team of Imperial Walkers, the outcome looked grim for the Rebels. These Imperial Walkers, they're heavily armed and blast-shielded, so none of the conventional weapons the Rebellion could bring to bear were effective in any way. Though the Walkers proved vulnerable at the neck and some leg joints, getting good shots in proved difficult. As the Walkers approached Echo Base, they shot T-47s out of the sky with their precise targeting systems and wiped out whole swaths 
of Rebel positions, including Echo Station 3T8, who first reported them closing in on Echo Base. While these troops bought time for the Rebels, the first Rebel transport ship, the Quantum Storm, left the Rebel base with its two X-Wing escort. Captain Lennox of the Star Destroyer Tyrant was excited at the prospect of intercepting the Rebel transport, pleased about what he hoped would be his first Rebel catch of the day. But that's when the Rebel Ion Cannon fired upon the Tyrant. The direct hits short-circuited all of the electrical works on the Tyrant, effectively disabling it and allowing the Quantum Storm to make it to the rendezvous point unharmed. Yeah, the Imperials had a very uh, aggressive naming scheme for their Star Destroyers. (laughs) None of them are like the Gentle Breeze or, uh, you know, Vader's Hug. Yeah, (laughs) Vader's Throat (laughs) Hug, more like. The Rebels weren't in the clear yet, and they'd need to start making effective attacks against Veers and his walkers if they hoped to survive. Now, according to reports, the first walker to be brought down was actually at the hands of pilot Thane Carell, an Imperial defector from the world of Jellucan. He identified the weaknesses in the knees and, with his gunner, managed to pull down the first walker after significant effort. Shortly after that, Rogue Squadron, led by Luke Skywalker, came up with the brilliant plan to use the standard harpoons and tow cables equipped on the T-47s to wrap around the legs of the walkers in order to trip them up. And once down, the walkers would reveal their exposed necks, and they would pose no further threats. And although Wedge Antilles, one of the few pilots who survived the Death Star assault, and his gunner Wes Jansen were able to bring down a walker in this manner, they were the only team to do so. Skywalker was shot down... But as is the way of fighter jocks, he had to one-up those in his command. Using an ascension gun, Skywalker managed to, unbelievably so, connect to the underside of a walker, cut a hole open with his antique laser sword, and then deposit a thermal detonator inside the inner workings of the walker, which ultimately brought that AT-AT down. Although Rogue Squadron and others made strides in holding off the Imperial walkers, the battle just was not going their way. The Star Destroyer blockade tightened its net, and Veers made it through more of the Rebel lines unscathed. Rykan and Organa decided on the risky maneuver of sending two transports and their escorts out at once. This was a really bold move, with potentially disastrous consequences. Even though that would have doubled the size of the fighter escort, it was still just an absurd matchup with the encroaching Imperial fleet. And it's at this point that Veers, in his personal walker, Blizzard 1, managed to punch through the scattered remnants of the Rebel lines, the the final bits of resistance, and he actually destroyed the main generator powering that that, uh, orbital shield, preventing uh, Darth Vader from landing. So this then allowed Vader and his personal command of troops to land at the base and sweep the remaining Rebels inside. Uh, Although they worked to lock down all the remaining ships they could, that didn't change the fact that most of the rebels were just gone. The Imperial ground troops found little resistance since much of the base had been vacated and only skeleton crews remained. Luke Skywalker, the object, as we mentioned, of Vader's primary objective, managed to make his way back to the base and into his waiting X-Wing. Skywalker broke the blockade and fled, denying Vader his prize. So Vader turned to his secondary objective, the Millennium Falcon. But that ship, carrying Captain Solo and Princess Leia Organa, managed to break planet as well. Other high-profile leaders found ways through the blockade. Evan Chalice, another high-profile Imperial defector, was able to board a rebel transport and use Imperial codes to bluff an entire transport through the blockade. 
And soon enough, the Imperials were able to put an end to these sorts of escape attempts, and their blockade became completely effective once more. But, I mean, again, this was after most of the rebels had gone. Though the Empire characterizes this battle as a bloody and devastating loss for the Rebellion, and it can certainly be viewed that way, um, trying to tally up who were the actual winners and losers can be more difficult. If you look at the objectives that each belligerent set out to accomplish, it's much easier to think about the Rebel Alliance as the winners here. The Alliance to Restore the Republic knew they needed to keep their base secret. And at the point where the Empire knew where they were, their primary objective was retreat. But this really is a case of retreat being more like an advance in a different direction. Yes, it was costly in lives, equipment, and morale. The Empire definitely took something from them here, but the Rebels managed to pull through through the most absurd of circumstances. Had the Empire arrived even a few days earlier, the Rebels wouldn't have had speeder support. Had they arrived any later, and there would have been new problems the Rebels had to face. I mean, think. I mean, think about this, right? Like, if they'd been more settled in and they hadn't uh, yeah, seen yeah, the probe, yeah. um, if they hadn't seen the probe, would they have settled in more and not been uh, as nimble as they were, so that they could affect such uh, an effective evacuation? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something to be said for their kind of makeshift situation when this all went down. It probably made it a great deal easier for them to up and run than if they had all had all of their their base completed and all of their stuff in order. Like Yanking out things that aren't installed quite yet is a lot easier than actually having to pick up a fully established base. Yeah. No, it, it was, I mean, everything went fortuitously for the Rebels aside from that, the fact that the Imperials were there. And Admiral Ozel was another determining factor in this Rebel victory. Since Ozel's unusual attack strategy, which ended up ultimately costing him his life, was one of many perceived blunders that prevented the victory of the Empire from being anything less than total, there have actually been some rumors that he was in fact a spy for the Rebel Alliance. Being aboard a heavily monitored Star Destroyer, he would naturally be unable to send any sort of coded message. So his order to bring the fleet out of light speed so close to Hoth, some people have argued, was made to give the rebels as much warning as possible to affect their evacuation. Though that's never been confirmed, uh, it certainly remained the scuttlebutt of the Imperial Navy for many years. I'm always back and forth on that. Could he be? Could he? He's he's maybe he is. Maybe he's not. Maybe he was just a buffoon. Uh, we'll never know because Vader took care of that. So. So what did the Imperials accomplish? They did manage to execute a winning strategy in the battle, killing many troops, disabling the generators, and disadvantaging the rebels significantly, while at the same time driving them from their secure base. But let's take a look at their objectives. Their overarching objective for the Imperial fleet was to smash the Rebel Alliance in such a way so that they would not be able to launch another counterattack like the one that destroyed the Death Star. Vader's personal primary objective was to capture Luke Skywalker, and then as a secondary objective failing that was to capture Han Solo and Princess Leia to use as bait to later capture Skywalker. When you tally it up like that, they actually failed every single mission parameter on Hoth. Yes, they killed lots of soldiers and they won the battle, but this particular battle didn't win them the war or really anything else. Yeah, it's one of those... uh things where you know it's easy to recognize their incredible power and be like yes they crushed those rebels but they didn't get anything they wanted out of the deal 
so that is the Battle of Hoth, and it is not quite so cut and dry as you might believe based on the standard record. But when you dive in a little bit deeper, you really start to recognize that it's quite a nail-biting victory for the Alliance to restore the Republic, thanks to General Carlos Rican, which is a name you don't often hear in association with the battle. He tends to be kind of a secondary character uh, in the narrative when people talk about this. Veers is usually portrayed as the big hero here. Yeah, which which is interesting, um, you know, it, it, because he won, but what did he win? He blew up a generator that no one wanted anyway because the rebels had gone. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, there's victory and there's victory. It's sort of like, yay, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so so since this is this is our first outing, we don't have any listener mail or anything. So I guess this is where we leave you. Yes, uh, to contemplate the misery of being on a planet like Hoth that has one single climate that is all miserably cold. Yeah, I, uh, that just, that that sounds like bad news. (laughs) So just be thankful that you don't live on Hoth. So, uh, until next time. Indeed. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com. Hey, it's Ralph Garman from Hollywood Babylon, and I wanted to tell you to subscribe and listen to NetHeads on Smodcast.com with Will Wilkins and Trent Hunsaker. They talk about tech and geek culture and entertainment news and... Hey, wait a minute. Isn't that what we do? Well, anyway, listen to NetHeads because they're check cleared. Live and always available at smodcast.com.